Hello, neighbors. It's time for a big confession. Don't judge me for this, because it's really not creepy. At least I don't think it is. I just want you to know that I'm online reading your stories. I'm reading about what it's like to be in your shoes, and I'm relating to it. Whether those stories have to do with your child having food allergies, or picky eating, or some medical symptoms that make it difficult for the child to feed, I am reading your stories in the online support forums. I'm reading because I want to help, and very few of you have contacted me at the time of this ninth episode. Come on, reach out, review the podcast, comment on the YouTube channel, write to me by going on my website, drfka.com. You can do this. I want to help you, but I can only help you in as much as you reach out to me. In the meantime, until I hear from you, I'll just continue my lurking and my reading. Then I'll respond to your concerns as I'm reading about them. What I want to tackle today is conflicts that arise within families that involve your child and food. These could be conflicts around food allergies, picky eating, or some medical symptoms that can make it difficult for a child to feed. The things I am reading, and my heart goes out to you, the things that I'm reading, oh boy. There's one of you whose in-laws know that the child has severe f pice type reactions to oats, yet the in-laws keep talking about how f pice doesn't really exist and that it's good to introduce the allergenic food. By the way, f pice or fruit protein-induced enterocolitis syndrome, is a type of food allergy which affects the digestive tract. Afflicted individuals can have significant vomiting and dehydration. They can also have diarrhea. Anyway, the only way that you'll finally be able to get your in-laws to stop feeding the allergenic food to the baby is to say, your child could die if she eats oats because of how severe the reaction can be. Yes, you had to say that, although in developed countries with adequate health systems, it's rare for a child to die with FPIs. It's rare, but you had to put fear into the heads of those grandparents because otherwise they just didn't get it and offering your child allergenic food was not a good idea. Then there's another one of you whose child only eats and sleep. Yep, your child puts himself into stage one sleep each and every time that he feeds and he can only feed on the bottle. Stage one sleep is that beginning of the sleep cycle, that moment between being awake and being asleep. It's when the child is dozing off. Ooh, dozing off, kind of half awake, half asleep. I'm sure you've been there. It's a time when whatever bothers a child with feeding seems to lessen and sucking of a bottle can occur. Much needed calories can be obtained in a more relaxed state, that dozing off state, and that's how your child feeds. Yet, when you mention to your parents that your child seems to have a feeding disorder because they only feed in stage one sleep, you're told that all children eat that way. It's perfectly fine. It's the way that things happen in every family and nobody talks about it. So not true, but according to the grandparents, the perfect angel of a grandchild has no concerns with feeding whatsoever. If you bring up your concerns, you are told that you are a delusional. Okay, one more story. The story of the father who let his parents care for their grandchild while he went to work one day. Backup care wasn't available, so there he was. He brought the child safe foods with him when he dropped off his son. He told his parents, Your grandchild, my son, will only eat these five foods. 
If you give him something that isn't one of these five foods, then he's not going to eat it, no matter how hard you try. What did the grandparents do? They threw out the five foods that were in the drop-off bag for their grandson. They told themselves that their son was too lenient and their grandson did not have any sort of a pediatric feeding disorder, not their grandson. Then all day they fed him Brussels sprouts, steak, and apples, all foods that he wouldn't eat. Six hours after dropping off his son, the father got a phone call from his parents. You have to pick up your son right now. He just seems to be getting more and more cranky, they said. The father said, did you feed him his favorite foods? Is he hungry? No response. To the grandparents, the child was being obstinate. If he was hungry, he would eat anything put in front of him. So the cranky behavior must be something else not hunger. What? I was shocked by how frequently these internal conflicts occurred. If some version of them is occurring in your family too, you're not alone. These conflicts appear to be everywhere. I want to talk about that bit today. What happens when the parent and other family members don't agree? What happens when the grandparents appear to be a little off in their thinking? Or maybe not even a little off? In some of these cases, the grandparents almost seem not so. Sorry. Don't mean to offend anyone. But some ideas just don't seem evidence or research-based at all. Like, not at all. There's no research them. There's no evidence. It's just bizarre. I'm Dr. Evka. I'm a physician and mom to a young child who fed reluctantly. I remember feeling so scared and so alone as it was hard for me to find the answers to my child's feeding difficulties and to improve the feeding. Fast forward past many doctor's visits, lots of reading, multiple certifications and various aspects of feeding, and many feeding therapy sessions with me as the mom. You will see a child and a parent who have both come a long way in the feeding department. Life feels so much less scary. I have so much powerful knowledge regarding early childhood feeding. Feeding has become easier and I have more of my life back. I recreated this Feeding Made Easy podcast as I wanted you to have actionable, simple, step-by-step strategies so that you don't have to feel as scared or as alone as I once did. If you have some questions about nutrition and picky eating, if you have a young child with lots of symptoms but no good solutions regarding why feeding seems more difficult than you would expect, if you have a diagnosis but do not know where to get more good, actionable, step-by-step information, you're in the right place. Let's get learning. Just remember that this material is for educational purposes only. I'm not your doctor. If you or your child have specific medical concerns, please see your doctor. This week's episode is sponsored by the Crying Baby Academy. Yep. If you have a baby, or if you know a baby, who just cries and cries a lot more than you'd expect, consider becoming a beta tester for this course. If you think your child has colic and you want to learn more, sign up. Enrollment to be a beta tester ends by the end of December 2020. The course will never again be offered at the same low price of free. Go to and sign up for the Crying Baby Academy. Anyway, I wanted to talk to you about these internal family conflicts. As a parent, you want the best for your child. How frustrating it must feel when your parents, the child's grandparents, don't get the nature of the situation. How tough when other family members seem to be reacting in ways that you would not expect. In fact, for some of you, these might be ways that don't even make logical sense. What do you do under these circumstances? How do you convince 
the family members who don't seem to quite get it that you are right, how do you explain facts? What happens if you want to protect your child or have your child treated in a specific way, but other families such as grandparents aren't completely on board? What do you do? You may feel like you need your family. Maybe it's that you need them to babysit. Maybe it's that you just like spending time with them. Maybe it's that you would like them to celebrate a specific holiday with you, yet you worry about what will happen when it's you, them, and your child. Here are some questions which could worry you when it comes to a holiday party. Of course, this year with a COVID-19 situation, holiday get-togethers might be smaller, so you might not experience it this year, or you might, even if you'd not experience it until years later, because this holiday season is being December now, you're going to be socially isolating. Eventually, family will be celebrating a holiday with you. We tend to celebrate with food. At that holiday party, will you be left asking, my child eats only eight different foods, will one of those foods be present? Or will you be asking, will everyone who cooks or buys food for the holiday meal be respectful of my child's food choices? Will they make sure that no allergens are at the table? If those allergens are present, will my child's food be available in a way that truly minimizes any chance of an allergic reaction? Will television or another distraction be permitted at the table for the holiday if my child won't eat otherwise? Who will play with my child if my child refuses to feed? Who will supervise my child if I'm trying to have a meal? All really good questions. You may have certain expectations about these situations. You may have certain expectations about what happens at the dinner table during a holiday family get-together. These expectations may be that your child's food allergies are respected. It may mean the safe food that your child is willing to eat is present. It may mean that the family practices some tolerance or understands when it comes to your child's relationship around food. Yep, these expectations. What happens if you don't think that your family will be able to meet those expectations? What happens if they are in denial over your child's relationship around food? What happens if you are worried that the family get-together may somewhat harm your child? In these kinds of situations, you might want the family members who disagree with you to change. You might want them to finally wake up, smell the roses, and see the world in the same way that you do. You want them to see that, yes, your child has those food allergies. You're not making things up. You might want them to provide accommodations to your child who has a limited range of foods or various mealtime behaviors. You want these family members to be on the same wavelength as you, trying to help you in the way that you want. When the family members do not meet your expectations with their behavior, you might rack your head trying to find an answer as to why you or your child aren't being listened to. Like, why? You want to know why they treat you and your child in the way that they do when you don't quite agree. You want them to change. And maybe if you, you knew why, maybe you could be able to convince them otherwise. For instance, you do not understand why you do not believe that your child has food allergies or a medical diagnosis associated with feeding concerns. You have spoken to your child's doctor about it. The doctor gave your child this diagnosis. Why does the family member just not understand? Why do they minimize it? Why are they in denial? 
You want the person who you see in front of you to be that person who you imagine in your head, especially if it is your parent. You want your parent to be like this ideal parent. In reality, they might not be. Each person has their flaws. Not all parents are the best of parents. Some parents tend to be in disbelief longer than others. There are multiple brain and psychiatric diseases that are associated with disbelief. There are certain personality types. For instance, as we discussed in the previous episode, episode 8 of this podcast, some people have a type D personality as a way to, of protecting themselves from too much overwhelm. These individuals may try to minimize the situation or even try to deny it. Yes, that's even if them denial makes no logical sense. There could be many potential reasons for the denial, and perhaps you will never be able to find the reason. However, denial does happen. It's not ideal. Having a parent or another family member in denial might not be your ideal version of a relationship. I have a little homework assignment for you. I'll give you a more information about it in this week's freebie. Just scroll over to the bottom of the page for the episode 9 of my website, drevka.com. Another option is to go on my Instagram page and find the freebie there. The homework is as follows. I want you to write down somewhere answers to the following questions. What would it look like if you had the most ideal family member instead of the family member who you currently have? How would that ideal family member act? What kind of relationship would that family member have with you and your child? Don't write this down in terms of negatives. Don't write, my ideal parent wouldn't be in denial. Instead, write, my ideal parent would be my biggest supporter and understand that there's a true medical diagnosis going on. What kind of an ideal parent would you love to have if you could have any kind of an ideal parent or other family member? Get specific. Think about it. Be very descriptive about that family member. The more descriptive you are, the more you can get a sense of what you would like in a relationship with a current family member. You may get a better sense of how they fail to fit the bill when it comes to that idealized version of themselves. This is the ideal parent. It isn't reality. In reality, the real parent or other family member may be quite different. You cannot force them into this ideal version of this and the cells. It doesn't work. I've tried. It doesn't work. You cannot force anybody to change in exactly the way that you want. The only thing you can do is you can recognize that these are your expectations. This is what you'd like your parent to be or how you would like them to act. You can feel certain ways when they don't. Those feelings may be ones of anger, resentment, or disappointment. Anger can occur when a person acts in a way that you don't want, in a way that you feel is demeaning, disrespectful, threatening, or neglectful to you or your child. For instance, when a parent doesn't respect your rules around food allergies, you may feel some anger around their behavior. Resentment can be a feeling of ill will towards another person. Resentment can occur when the family member engages in perceived wrongdoing. For instance, you might resent a parent who refuses to feed your child their favorite foods, even though they have them, and even though the child won't eat much of anything else. You might resent your parent who just can't quite live up to your expectations. Disappointment can happen when we believe that we must have something from someone else in order to feel satisfied and the person fails to deliver. They can't give you what you want. 
there are some situations when no matter what you do, an individual might not be able to wrap their head around a certain medical condition. Intellectually, it may be just just too much for them. Then you might feel disappointed because you want them to get your situation, to understand it. You want them to get it so that they can be part of your team, helping your child, but they just don't get it. They'll never truly get it, and they'll never be truly part of your team. That can feel disappointing. What you want from someone else can make perfect sense to you. It can make perfect sense to you that you shouldn't feel your child a food to which they have an allergy. Like, clearly, if they have a food allergy and you know they're going to have a reaction, don't feed your child that food. You struggle in your head trying to figure out why exactly your parent isn't quite able to meet those expectations, but they cannot. They just cannot. Thus, your expectations of what the family members should act like or how they should think don't quite match up to reality. What do you do in that situation? Of course, you can feel emotions. It's okay to feel emotions. How about actions? What kind of actions do you do? You could bully the parent for not fulfilling your expectations and for not acting in the way that you want. Yet you have to realize that this is your parent, and there is a distinct possibility that you will not be able to change them. You could also blame them and be upset that they're not fulfilling your expectation. You could threaten them. You could say, since you acted in this way, I won't see you for a month. You can threaten them by saying, the next time that you give my child a food to which he has an allergy, I won't speak to you for a month. The other choice you have is one of love. You can love your parent or other family member and accept them for who they are. Yep, love. You can love them for who they are. The world goes around with love, love, love. When you love them, you know that they're not fulfilling all of your expectations. You love them anyway. You do not put motive behind your actions. You do not make them feel bad by thinking that they are uneducated or crazy. By loving them for who they are, you say, you know, this is who you are. This is how you're, you're acting. I cannot change the way you act. I can only change how I act. I can only change me. How do you change you? You can change you by coming into all of this from a place of love. You just accept your parents or other family member for who they are while understanding that they have their limitations. You love them anyway. You understand that you have an ideal version of them. You wrote that down. Remember the ideal version? That was the ideal version. You want them to act in this ideal way. If you need some pointers on how to write it down, check out the freebie. Anyway, so you have this ideal version of who they are. However, your parents are just not going to fit this ideal. You can grieve this ideal, but this ideal was an illusion. It's not who they are. However, if you believe that your parents or other family members may be harming your child in some way, you need to set up boundaries. Instead of punishing them after they perform the action, you tell them about what your boundary is in advance. You tell them what you are okay with and what you are not okay with. Setting up a boundary goes something like this. You learn that your child has an allergy to rice. The child's parents may want to give him rice anyway. No matter how much you try to convince them otherwise, they might still not understand why they can't give their grandchild rice. You tell them, I love you for who you are, but my child is not going to have rice. 
if my child is given rice by you, then I'm going to get my child and I'm going to leave the situation. If you're going to try to give my child rice at that table, we're going to say goodbye. Then if the parents again try to give your child rice, hopefully you are present to observe the situation. You take your child, you follow through. You need to follow through as you cannot establish a firm boundary without both naming the consequence in advance, as well as following through on the consequence if the boundary is broken. Remember that a boundary is an action. It's more than a thought. To establish a boundary, you must act in two ways. First, you must let the family member know of the boundary in advance and of what consequences will be of breaking that boundary. Second, you must follow through on that consequences if the boundary is broken. When you first start instituting boundaries, the family member might be shocked. They might be quite upset. They might get angry at you. They might try to convince you otherwise. But that's them. You are not responsible for their reactions. You are not responsible for how they take things. You are not responsible for their emotions. You are not responsible if by setting boundaries, you are no longer the idealized child that your parent thought you were. That ideal version of you was that an ideal. Instead, you are responsible for making sure that you are comfortable. You're responsible for setting your boundaries and making sure to follow through with consequences when boundaries are broken. This is hard because many of us want to please our families. We want to make them happy. We want to feel well-liked by them and to do things that they want us to do. We think that the way to make our family members happy is to say, yes, this is even if the situation is uncomfortable. It's because we want to please them in some way. Yet, by saying yes, you are not standing up for yourself. Eventually, this leads to you feeling resentful, angry, or disappointed. You need to stand up to you, especially now. You need to stand up for your child. You need to make sure that your child is safe. That is so important. I cannot stress that enough. You need to stand up because right now you're not just standing up for yourself. You're standing up for your child. You are caring for your child. Set those boundaries and stick to them. Thank you for your time. When you're trying to understand your parents or other family members, we can discuss boundaries in more detail in the future episodes. Since it's the holiday season, happy holidays. Stay safe. I'm so glad you're listening. What a wonderful present for you to be listening. See you again this time next week. Thank you.